This is Why We Plan, a podcast for business owners and their advisors about how to better plan for the exit from a business. Join us each episode as we discuss different elements of exit planning, including real life stories, challenges, and opportunities of owners and their advisors. Hello, my name is John Brown. I'm the founder of BEI, uh, an entity that helps business advisors just like you help your clients benefit from their life's work. We call this exit planning, and that's what BEI is all about. But a lot of exit planning also is about selling one's business to an outside third party, hopefully for all cash. And with me today is Scott Bushke, who's going to tell us exactly how he does that all of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. Thanks, Scott. (laughs) I only say that because Scott and I are friends. (laughs) But tell us about the world of investment banking for advisors who may not be, may never have worked with an investment banker before. How do you approach a client? How do you engage a client? What should a client and and the advisor expect? How do you work with that advisor through the sale process. All right, so a lot of questions. So let's start, uh, maybe the first one, just I get a lot of questions of what's the difference between a business broker and an investment banker? And uh, which one should I hire for you know my, my client or for my selling my company? And really the, the easiest answer is that most business brokers are working on zero to two, zero to three million dollar enterprise value deals where uh, it might be a, a bar, restaurant, retail location, C-store, uh, something you see on Main Street America, uh, you know, smaller, big town. And those buyers are typically going to be other individuals looking to get into corporate America for themselves. So the business broker is going to help them come up with a value. They're going to list a price like you would your house. And then they're going to put it on uh, different sites like Biz Buy Sell or other sites, at, at listing exchange sites, somewhat like the MLS for real estate. Yeah. And kind of blast it out, keeping it confidential, but kind of a shotgun approach of getting out there to as many people as possible. And then hopefully somebody raises their hand going, hey, I want to buy that sub shop or that service company or whatever it might be. And then they get paid. Uh, sometimes there's a small fee up front. Sometimes there's no fee up front. But they're typically getting paid somewhere around 10% of the, of the total transaction, depending on the, on the size of the deal. As the deals get larger, typically the fees, you know, the percentages come down. Um, but it's more of this, you know, kind of put together a little bit of marketing package, list it, and sit back and kind of wait. Uh, there's not a lot of synergistic or strategic buyers that make sense to reach out to proactively. Right. What we do in, 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 as an investment banker at Cornerstone in that what we call the low in market space, which are characteristics of either, you know, two to 50 million enterprise value, one to 10 in EBIT, uh, uh, five to 100, 150 million in revenue. Those companies are a little bit more... Uh, of a proactive process. We run what we call a structured process. We have our, our process at Cornerstone called our Assurance 360 process that we take clients through. And that's going to be more, again, instead of the shotgun approach, much more of a rifle approach. So what we'll do there is uh, put together a, a, a book on the company. You know, tell put the company in the best possible light. So it's probably a 15 to 30 page book highlighting the company's history, uh, their services or products that they do, why they're different, why they win business. Uh, their management team, really building out their management team, uh, and then really getting into those growth opportunities. You know, nobody wants to buy a company just to maintain the status quo. So where where are those opportunities to really grow the business for, for that business? And at the same time, we'll put together 
a buyer's list or a target list of who are all the buyers out there that would make sense to buy this company and can financially afford the company. So it could be a privately held company. It could be a public company. It could be a private equity firm or a family office or a search fund or domestically or international. You just never know where the companies are going to come from. In fact, there's a survey that the, uh, the M&A source and IBBA does called the Market Pulse Survey. And for companies in that 5 to $50 million range, uh, it's about uh, 70 to 80% the buyer comes from over 100 miles away, which is the exact opposite for a $500,000 company or less. That 70, 80% come within a 20-mile radius because, again, it's that individual trying to buy in, in their own backyard. So, uh, so we package up the company. We put together the book or, or the, the target list, and then we'll let the client sign off on that so they know exactly you know what is being said about their company, make sure it's accurate and correct, and they feel that the story is being told well. And they'll also sign off on that buyer's list to make sure we're not missing anybody. Or if just somebody, there's always typically one firm on there that go, I don't care if ABC company paid me three times more than anybody else. I would never sell to them. So we blacklist those and take those off. So they know who we're talking to, who we're not. And then we run a process of, of going to market. And the interesting difference, again, between a Main Street deal and a lower middle market deal is we don't put an asking price on the company. Because again, with the small businesses, it's pretty much gonna be a financial buyer. You know how much you can get finance, it's 20% down or whatever it might be, because someone like a house. With a larger company, uh, you don't know what those, those companies are gonna be in the synergies. You know, where one, does one plus one equal two or does it equal four? And can we get people to pay you know, that higher price? And so you never wanna set a ceiling. That's one of the cardinal sins that most business owners that go to market by themselves, they make is someone ask, well, hey, John, what do you want for the company? Well, I was thinking about 10 million. Well, now you did is just set that ceiling at 10 million and it's gonna be somewhere you know, south of that. But so we run a process and typically with our process within 30 to 60 days of proactively going out to folks, we're getting them to sign the NDAs, we're getting them the SIM access to the book. Uh, we're getting IOIs or indications of interest, kind of like a term sheet, one to two page term sheet of what's the value or value range? What's the timing on, on closing? What are some other key aspects from an economic standpoint? And be able to narrow those down. So, it, you know, the ideal is to get, you know, we say one buyer is no buyer because you'll never know truly what your company was worth, only what one group will pay for it. So our goal is to get multiple offers. And uh, for instance, last year, we had nine different offers per client, you know, so they could take, have that peace of mind to say, okay, let's narrow nine down to four or five and then bring those four or five that we like best in. And it's not always about price. Sometimes it's about protecting the employees or whatever else it might be or, or, or legacy. And then we'll bring them in for a meeting. We call it a management presentation where it's about a half day meeting. We get to meet the, the buyer. The buyer gets to meet our client. We're part of all of those meetings and phone calls. But it's really us vetting them and them diving a little bit deeper on, on the this operation. Narrowed it down to a one prospective buyer. We'll probably have four or five buyers that we're still narrowing it down and bring them in for a visit. And then from that visit, then they'll update their IOIs to LOIs or letter of intents, which now is more of a three to five page document with more legalese and more, mm -hmm. you know, here's exactly the value, here's exactly the structure. And then negotiate from those four or five or whatever number it is down to the one. And then we sign that one letter of intent and, and then you move into due diligence and working with the, not just the attorney that they had for all the years, but bringing in the M&A attorney, you know, to help with uh, that, that specific transaction, the CPA to look at different tax analysis and, and uh, all the other partners that need to be a part of that throughout the process till we get to close. So the average time frame nationally is uh, on a smaller deal is about six to eight months. On the larger low market deals, it's 10 to 12 months. Uh, we 
it, it's been a good market lately. Our, our process has been somewhere in that six to eight month time frame from start okay. to finish. So, so how do you identify the potential buyers? Because with a real estate broker, they don't know who the real the potential buyers are. There's really no way to find out other than the advertising. I don't right. Think. How do you locate potential buyers? Yeah, so we'll brainstorm with the client, and then we'll also and we have our analysts on our team that will really look and say, okay, who, what makes most sense? Is it a market share play? So if it is, you know, who are other people in that industry in, in different markets that might want to instead of trying to start up a company in that marketplace, buy that company and continue to grow their expertise? It might be someone where they have the same customers. So, you know, for instance, I, we sold a company once that was a, uh, they did uh, window washing from, you know, from four stories to, you know, 40 stories, buildings. And we had a lot of different offers, but the best buyer that offered up the most money was a in, in uh, interior janitorial business. And they were in different markets. So one was in the east side of Wisconsin, the other one was in the central part of Wisconsin. So now they could cross sell into each other's territories, but also go and say, hey, I've been doing your window washing forever. Now I can do your janitorial work or vice versa. I've been doing your janitorial work. You know, let me, let me do the window washing. And and, uh, and it's just, you know, so cross-selling services, uh, vertically integrated. We're seeing that a lot now with the supply chain issues. So people want to control their own supply chain. So, you know, who's above or below, you know, them in, in the supply chain order. Um, private equity groups that are looking to be, in, you know, we, we have re different research tools to find out which private equity groups or family offices want to be in certain spe specific industries. So their their job is to be found. And, and so they do a good job on some different platforms like Axial or some other ones out there. PI is another one that we use a lot to uh, to help try to find some of those folks. So how does, a, how does an advisor talk to their owner uh, about talking to investment bankers? What, what conversation should these advisors be having with their owners? Uh, how far in advance of a sale should they be, a likely sale should they be talking to their owners uh, before they even maybe contact you? Yeah, and that's a question we get asked a lot is, you know, how soon, you know, should we contact us? And, and the, the simple answer is the sooner the better, you know, and, and you know, with the book that we have, you know, whether you're 10 months or 10 years away, just to start to have those conversations to help them understand do they know what all their options are? They might be going down one path and not know that there's a much better path for them internally or, or externally. Uh, so, but, you know, most groups, if we could get them even at five years before, mm -hmm. uh, most, unfortunately, most sellers that call us, it's, uh, hey, I, I talked to my CPA, I talked to my financial advisor, they told me to give you a call, I want to sell my business. Okay, we'll do the estimate of value and say, here's a couple of things you could do to enhance the value and make it more valuable. No, I, I'm out. I want to sell my business today. I'm done. And they're burnt out. And, and that's unfortunate because now they're still successful. We can still sell those businesses. But if we just could have got to them a year or two earlier, I, we could have probably got them 30, 40% more for their company because they would have worked with their exit planner and worked with their CPA yeah. uh, to really help get that company truly ready for sale versus just waking up one day and saying it's not fun anymore. And I want to sell my business. And again, these are not companies that are, are going down the tubes. These are still successful companies, but when that owner checks out or where they just get tired, it, uh, the business will eventually be yeah. affected and just, and it affects their positioning from a negotiation standpoint of, Hey, they're all excited and, and we're going, you know, things are going great. You know, I'll sell, but it's gotta be a great price versus yeah, just get me out of this thing and get me as much as I can. And of course that's what the investment banker is for is to be that buffer. So the, the buyer doesn't see that or the seller doesn't say those things but it does affect the overall value of, of them leaving money on the table. But 
uh, and, and yeah, most of our clients come through about 80% of our clients come through the, the trusted advisor, which many times is the, is the CPA or, or the financial advisor in our, in our case. So what should advisors look for in helping an owner find an investment banker? Yeah, I, I think it, they want to look for someone who's working in their size of deal, you know, and so doing a, a $800,000 deal versus a $20 million deal versus a $100 million deal. There's different people that focus on those different areas. And if you get someone that's doing a hundred, you know, used to doing hundred million dollar deals and you're going to work on your $20 million deal. Well, the case you're probably going to get the new MBA who's going to cut your, cut his or her teeth on your business. And do you really want to have the new 22 year old, you know, working on your business when you get one at bat to, you know, to do this right. So I think looking at that, looking at, you know, are they one person or is there a team? You know, what's their closing ratio? Uh, can I talk to some clients? You know, if they go, oh, no, everything's confidential. I can't, you can't talk to any past clients. Usually not a great sign. Um, but, uh, you know, so I think how many clients are you taking on? You know, I, you could be the best, smartest guy in the room, but if you take, if you just spread yourself out too thin at anything, somebody, somebody's not going to get good service. Yeah. You know, so we, like we limit ours to three to five clients per advisor, you know, where some people will have five or, eight or, or, or more. And, and uh, we've always found that that less is more. And as far as the conversation with their clients, you know, just to sit down and ask them a couple of questions that, you know, have you had evaluation done lately? The answer is probably no, you know, 15% or less have had evaluation done in the last two years, according to some studies. Uh, do you know how you're going to get out of your business? Do you know when you're going to get out of your business? Do you know what you want out of your business? What is you know, what does success look like? Have you sat down with your financial advisor and looked at uh, what you need to get out of the business to live your ideal lifestyle? We call that the lifestyle number. And just a few of those questions, you know, would you like to sit down and talk with someone about what's going on in your marketplace? Um, knowing that uh, the first question, or one of the first questions are the, buyer, the business owner is going to ask is, well, I don't know if I want to talk to any investment banker because, you know, I want, to, I want to keep this confidential. And know that truly investment bankers absolutely know that confidentiality is absolutely key. That there's no your reputation depends. Yeah, on that. you you could do twenty years worth of work and you blow up one deal and your reputation's on the tubes. Yeah. So it's it's uh, absolutely you know that we make make sure that everything is on the forefront of confidentiality and and just going down that path. But I think to say hey, you know, just because you talk with someone doesn't mean you're selling tomorrow or they're gonna. You know, a good investment maker is not going to hound you. Oh, hey, you didn't want to sell today. How about next week? How about the week after that? It's just having a discovery, you know, a discovery uh, uh, get together, you know, take an hour or two. Again, this is typically 80 to 90% of, their, of that business owner's net worth. And they should take some time to really think and reflect on what do I, when am I going to get out of this? What do I want? And that's where, you know, exit planning comes in so key is because, those people are really can be that quarterback to help guide them through all that process. Cause what we've learned over the years of doing this for 20 plus years is I don't care how, and I've seen a lot of smart people. There is not one person that can do everything. They can't be the CPA. They can't be the M and A attorney. They can't be the regular attorney. They can't be the investment banker. They can't be the tax and the estate planning. It, it really takes a team. And that's where I think starting to just build that team sooner. So whenever it happens, and, and again, Bad things happen to good people. You know, as so I have that team, understand the value, and then something happens to the business owner, you're in a lot better place than something happens to the business owner. No one's talked about the plan. Nobody has an idea what the value is. Nobody's got life insurance to protect, you know, if something happened to the owner. And all of a sudden now you're sitting there going, this person was the business. It's the sole source of income for the family. And you're just going to watch it die a very painful death.
So how, that's, that's all interesting. How long in advance of a intended third party sale would you like to first meet with a potential business owner client? Yeah, I, I think, again, earlier the better, but I would say five years. You know, because at five years, there's a lot of work that you can do in five years, three to five years. Yeah. You know, three to five years, uh, even a year, you could do a lot in a year. But if you could get in three to five years, understand the valuation, and then work on those two or three things that are holding your company back from really hitting that, that top value and getting you into that next tier as far as companies go. Because whether it's a smaller company or a larger company, if you've got above average financials, if you've got clean financials, if you've got a, a well-run management team, if you've got good customer concentration, you're going to get a much higher multiple than all the other folks in your industry. But if you don't work on those things and just kind of, like a lot of business owners do, they go, 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 and then get on autopilot, and it's more of a lifestyle business, and you put it on cruise, yeah, they're, they're going to have a harder chance of selling it or leaving money on the table. So if um, an advisor has a client who's thinking of selling, can they meet with you and you can get a good understanding of the business, maybe its weaknesses as well as its strengths, and give them a range of value, just a broad range of value? Yeah, we do that all the time for companies all over the country. If they want to have an introductory call and just learn more about you know, hey, we'll find out ahead of time, you know, what industry they're in, you know, what their company is. We can look on the website a little bit, get some high level financials, but then to have a call and say, hey, you know, here's what's going on in the industry. Here's what the trends are looking like. Here's what some companies sold recently for. So you're probably, you know, in this range just to get an idea. And then if, down the road, if you ever want to dive in deeper with the Espinosa Valley, they can do that or choose not to, but at least we can educate them, both them and their advisor of kind of what's going on because just because it's a good time to sell in one industry doesn't mean it's a good time to sell in another industry or your business might be on the upswing and you might want to hold on a bit longer or it might be on the downswing and you should have sold a year ago. And that's probably the biggest one, again, besides setting that seal and another big mistake that most business owners make is they, they hold on too long. Very few business owners sell too early and they typically wait too long. And, and you know, I always kind of give the example of, think of a business owner that's been in business for 30 years and they just hold on 3% too long. So they do everything right for 30 years, 97% of the time, but they hold on 3% too long, which is one year. And in that one year, the business starts to tank a little bit. Not, not crazy, but it starts to go down. That company now just lost 20, 30, 40% of the value might not be saleable at all, only because they held on 3% too long. Because a buyer doesn't care about what, well, you know, let me show you what the guy did or the woman did in his prime or her prime three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. It's this world is moving so fast that most buyers are looking at not even, you know, we're sitting at the, uh, you know, the middle of 2022. It's not even what you did in 20, calendar 2021. They want to look at the last 12 months of 21 and the first 12 months or the first six months of, uh, of 2022, that trailing 12 months. And they might put all the value on that. They might put for sure the weighted, you know, the weighted value on that, unless there's some unique circumstances like with COVID that was, we could throw some of those years out uh, positive or negative, but that's the problem is that most people are waking up one day. It's not fun anymore. And they're hanging on too long because they're emotionally tied, especially baby boomers. They have so much pride and passion in what they've built or what they bought and, and built that they just have a hard time separating their identity from uh, you know from the business, and that's where that again that exit plan or that trusted advisor can be such a huge uh, advantage for that business owner because they can just by just asking a few good questions they can just start that process. And we've had multiple deals where we got done where they went right up to that trusted advisor and go, you know, 
I can't thank you enough for putting that team together because we were, we didn't know what we were going to do. We were just, you know, some people are just going to shut it down on the smaller size of what we do. We had one client out in North Dakota where they got an unsolicited offer for a million seven and said, you know, this seems about right. We're not sure. They went to a, they said it might be a little light. They went to their uh, CPA. They did a valuation. They came in at like three, three. And they're like, oh, if we could get three, three, that'd be great. And it's like, okay, well, do you want to just try to, we don't recommend just going to this one buyer. We'd recommend going to multiple buyers and we have a relationship with Cornerstone. It's like, sure, let's, if we can get three, three, we'd be happy to, you know, bring in a group. Well, we brought in like five or six offers and they would end up getting 6.2 million for the company. And they went back to that CPA and said, because of you, we get to live a completely different lifestyle than what we yeah, thought we were going to live. And it's, you know, and it's just amazing that because we put a team together and we ran the process, we didn't know, I mean, we had an idea of what the value was going to be, but until you go to market and get multiple buyers bidding on your company without any, you know, without any asking price with the best buyers and, and putting the story in the best possible light, you have no idea what your business is worth. And that's the fun things that we get to do. And that's why we get up every morning and our team is so passionate to try to help those people. We talk about giving, giving the gift of both time and money, you know, and be able to have options and and not only options in who do I want to sell my business to because now they're not just working with one buyer, but after the sale, be able to do all the things that they've promised their spouse or sure. all the things on their bucket list that they didn't get to do because they're running the business. Well, I think this has given us a good idea of what investment bankers can do for your clients. Um, and that after all, after all is said and done, what we want to do is to help these owners benefit from their lives work. That is why we plan. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. If you'd like more information on better ways to plan for the future, please visit exitplanning.com.